0: Welcome to Tech Whisperers, the podcast that takes you inside the playbook of the world's best digital leaders. This is a show for digital and business leaders who are passionate about learning from the industry shapers and market makers. Join your host, Dan Roberts, as he unpacks the unique stories, leadership philosophies, and answer the call moments that define and differentiate the best leaders of our day. Our goal is to help you gain an edge and move you beyond your comfort zone so that you are driving more impact and value for your team, your company, and your career. Let's get into the show and hear from another amazing tech whisperer.
1: Well, welcome back everybody. I'm Dan Roberts, your host of Tech Whispers. Really glad you're here today. We have an amazing guest, a bit of a conundrum actually. And as we get to know him a little bit, you'll see why I'm saying that. And you know, on the one hand, He's got a PhD in computer science from a little school in California we call Stanford. So you might you might know them, they're a pretty good school. On the flip side, he's got a huge EQ, right? Huge empathy, very focused on the human side of the equation. So as I say, a real conundrum. On his career journey, also, he's worked at digital native companies. You'll recognize them, Yahoo, eBay, back when they were cool, by the way, and also some some big brand companies, uh, what we would call today incumbent companies, American Express, Express Scripts, Northwestern Mutual. So I could go on. I don't want to embarrass them, but I just want to give a warm welcome. But Neil Samples, CEO of Northwestern Mutual, welcome here today, Neil. Thank you. Uh, Super happy to be here. Super happy to join you today. So Neil, so much of your story to uncover. We don't have nearly enough time, but Let's give it a shot anyways, and I think it would be important for our audience to appreciate the size, the scope, the complexity of Northwestern Mutual, and really the impact you have on people's lives. I mean, you're a Fortune 90, 165-year-old company, so I'll let you start it there.
2: Yeah, you know we are a 165-year-old company, and and one that's changed quite a bit over the years. We started as uh, strictly insurance, um, and then in near in our history, a mere 35 years ago, got into investments as well, um, and trying to achieve a, a mission that we call protect and prosper. Now, how we can make sure that uh, we protect uh, our clients from the downside of the vagaries of life, help them get ready for retirement, uh, but also grow on the upside, and and to take advantage of an investing. For example, um, we have about five million clients, uh, which is uh, you know a, a significant number. Uh, but we had a statement in 1888 that um, we actually weren't trying to be the biggest company; we were trying to be the best, and, and we like to think that we achieved that. Um, we have 34 billion dollars in revenue, uh, for example, but as a mutual company, um, basically after we take out the costs of doing business, all of the excess generated goes back to our clients, and so we don't have uh, shareholders. and and policy or uh, equity that exists externally. We don't do share buybacks or or put money back out to the street. So the better we do um, on behalf of our clients, the better they do. Um, And they really like our products. Um, At the end of the day, we are the largest uh, market leader in terms of permanent life insurance. Um, And we have about $2.1 trillion uh, worth of life insurance in force. That's T for trillion. (laughs) That is T for trillion.
1: You just say trillion, yeah, and and you had said you the the mission going back to eighteen eighty eight. Now you weren't there then. I just want to clarify this. A little younger, uh, not much, a little, little bit. <laughs> no, good stuff. And you know, as we get into your leadership philosophies, Neil, you know, you're known. Your brand is all about building world class cultures. You're you're big on elevating and growing your people. And my hunch is that you're all about helping people move out of their comfort zone. Uh, helping people to grow and move beyond where they are today? Or as my friend, Michelle Green, who was on the podcast before, she would say the land of comfort has no growth. Does that does that resonate mm-hmm.
2: with you, Neil? It does. Um, it does. And, you know, it's not only something that, uh, you know, I think about um, cultivating and elevating the, the folks who work for me. It's something that I practice myself. Um, and so, you know, when I talk uh, about career growth, for example, um, it's not just a ladder, really a ladder that gets taller and taller is less and less stable over time. Um, and that a career should grow more like a pyramid, That you need to build an extensive base. Uh, and, you know, I encourage people to get uncomfortable by changing one thing at a time. That one thing might be scope and scale. It might be a bigger job uh, than they've had before. It might be changing the function. It might be that uh, you were in architecture and now you're going to work in development, Um, so a, a different function. Or in some cases, like me most recently, it might be in an entirely different industry. Um, so I have a a similar job to one that I've had before, uh, both scope and scale working in technology primarily, but I've never worked in insurance before. And so my comfort, uh, is, is stressed by this business and, and having to learn the business while being able to create some value with the things that I already know. So it's absolutely essential. Um, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. I, I think, uh, I think that's right about comfort zones.
1: Yeah, you know, I want to get into some of those, uh, some of those muscles that you've matured over time in terms of how you go to those new opportunities, new companies, new industries. But before I go there, I'm glad for your answer, because I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable right now, I think, Neil. So many people don't know this yet. I think it's public, but in August, you're going to be inducted into the CIO Hall of Fame. This It's a big deal. And uh, with your class of 2022, there will only be 162 inductees representing our profession, the best of the best of our profession. So big deal. I want to give you a congratulations. I know you don't pursue these things. I know it's not how you're wired, but they're also important, too. So maybe just kind of talk about that for a
2: second. Well, Dan, sometimes I like to say that um, great minds think alike and ours do, too. <laughs> so um you know when i think about the award it is uh it is really good company i will say that um having looked at the the 161 other folks there there's some some really admirable uh names in there some really great companies uh rich history uh of both commercial and technical achievement um but what i look for it What I look to get out of it at the end of the day is really about the technology brand. It is something that our employees point to and they're very proud of. It is something that um, they can say because I'll say it, they contributed to it. I I didn't go out and win this uh, any more than I went out and built this company and our technology and our stack for the last 165 years. That at the end of the day, it really is an award for them. But it's also important to the folks that don't work here yet And I think, you know, working at the best company, we would like to attract and retain the best talent, some of those who haven't found their way here yet. Um, And so that's our talent brand, our technology brand in the community. Um, And that's something this represents as well. So uh, while I don't necessarily need to put it up on my shelf, I think from a company perspective and an employee perspective, um, it's a pretty neat tool to have in the toolbox. Yeah, you've
1: always built that talent magnet brand, which is which is all about retaining your great people you have today, and also attracting those like you say who who, who aren't there yet and and, oh. and are going to be soon. And you know, I'll give a shout out to one of your other 162 colleagues, uh, Wayne Schertz, uh, who introduced you and I at some, some point yes. in, the, in the past. And so appreciate him. And uh, now he's out doing board work because that's what we do, right? When you're done with CIO stuff, you go do go do board work.
2: Yeah, and you know that's one of those things that's amazing. Um, you know, Wayne really represents that cutting edge. Uh, it used to be that. That CIOs weren't candidates for boards uh, and and necessarily like operating at the the sort of top of the house, if you will. Um, And Wayne's one of those folks who's broken that mold, who's been recognized um, not only as a capable technologist, but as an industry leader and provides enough value to be on the board. And that's a a great thing Um, that, that that is a recognition that's evolved over the last, let's say, 10 years. Um, that 20 years ago, <laughs> we were uh, back office uh, cost center folks. In many cases, um, weren't necessarily leading the charge uh, within the business. And I do think that's something that's really neat. Yeah, I mean, kind of building on that,
1: Neil. You've had other roles yourself, in, in some of these big companies. You've had you've been the COO. You've had these other other big jobs. You know, as we unpack more of your story, kind of the the secret sauce, the superpowers of Neil Sample. You know, with this Tech Whispers podcast, when we reimagined it, we wanted to, kind of a bigger, bolder mission here. And part of that is unpacking the playbooks of the best leaders. And one of the things I find fascinating, Neil, as you approach these different situations, these different opportunities, it's not a cookie cutter, is it? This whole playbook idea. You don't just use this cookie cutter, cut and paste. Here we go
2: again. That's true. You know, I've been at a few companies over the years. And, um, you know, back in the late 90s, I was at a startup that was certainly uh pre-public um I was at Yahoo for 7 years when we went from 3,000 people to to over 20,000 um I've actually been at companies older than this one uh, at American Express and, and certainly bigger at Express Scripts and the thing that is consistent is that every single place is different and unique that there isn't necessarily a playbook but what I have found is that there is a secret um and at the end of the day the secret is the team and having the right team. And the way I like to communicate it is, is by saying that, that, you know, there is no perfect process, something like agile, everybody's going to implement it in their very own way. But even a perfect process with a mediocre team is going to generate mediocre results. On the other hand, if you have an amazing team. They can take even a mediocre process and produce amazing results. Um, Not that that team wouldn't also be motivated to improve the process over time, clean up tech debt, do all the things that you might need to do uh, wherever you happen to find yourself. But the playbook is going to be different everywhere. It's different domains, different technology challenges, different... uh, points on the life cycle, but the team, boy, if you can get a good solid team, they can make just about anything happen. So that to me is, is really the secret sauce.
1: Yeah, no, that's 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 incredible. And maybe opening up your personal playbook a little bit, Neil, I, I find it fascinating how quickly you become part of the fabric of Northwestern Mutual. And uh, that's, a, that's a skill, that's a muscle. So as we have people in the audience who are approaching new projects, maybe new initiatives, Maybe a new company, maybe like you've done, new industries. How do you approach that? What's your personal playbook for becoming part of that organization so quickly?
2: Well, you know, if you can figure out the things that you know and the things that you don't know, you can figure out what you bring to the table and what's unique. Um, And, you know, one of the things I talked about when I first got here, I was open and honest with folks that we, that you weren't getting a CIO, for example, who'd worked for years and years uh, in the insurance industry, that it wasn't somebody who could talk in depth about IRS Regulation 7702. And maybe I can now, but it's been a few years. And so I, I was humble enough to acknowledge, I guess, the things that I didn't know, uh, which wasn't necessarily true for my entire career. Um, but I also said, here are the things that I do know. Here are the things that I can help make better. Here are experiences from my past in uh, related areas or in technology challenges. Um, And so if you can connect those two dots, if you can um, express what you don't know and, and create a safe space for you to learn on your own, but also show the things that you can do to bring immediate value to something that's uh, maybe unfamiliar territory for you. Um, I think that's a really good recipe for success. Uh, you know, he sort of joked when I got here that uh, Northwestern Mutual was a target rich environment that, um, you know, you can look up on uh, your favorite search engine, um, Northwestern Mutual electronic brain. Um, and you will see that we actually bought the first uh, commercially available mainframe uh, from IBM, the first one that wasn't used either for government or internal. And so we like to think that we gave ourselves a rich and storied opportunity to develop tech debt. Uh, so cleaning that up is something that I've, <laughs> I've done before, and they provided me plenty of opportunities to do so. And, and I could do that without knowing insurance or investments or, or being uh in the financial services industry, in this way, before.
1: Well, that's certainly an interesting and fun fact, and a great perspective to, to have, Neil. And one of the ways that we unpack the superpowers of our guests is we have a question from an outside guest, uh, we call it the audience question, but it's somebody who knows you well, somebody who can ask a question that uh, I would never know to ask to unpack your story. So let's listen in as we play the question and I'd love to have you tell us who this is, the the relationship you have, and also, uh, and then jump on the question. So let's, let's listen in. So I have observed over the years that you're able to bring humor into situations where it can really help engage and motivate teams. Why do you think that has been so effective
2: for you in your leadership style? Well, first of all, um, this is, I would say, without a doubt, future Hall of Fame CIO, uh, Rothy Murthy. So Rothi I've known for a lot of years, ever since uh, the early days at Yahoo, and we'll just say at the turn of the century, <laughs> when we were both there. Um, and Rothi actually joined my team as a director of QA. Um, And then several years later, uh, after various uh, roles and, and opportunities at places like eBay and American Express, she actually returned to Yahoo uh, as the CTO, uh, and so really kind of came home and ran the entire organization uh, that she ran a very small part of before. And so she's um, just an incredible leader, uh, somebody who I've had the opportunity and the pleasure to work with um, several times over the past. And and so she's fantastic. As far as her question though, I do think it's important. I it is an important part of a uh, of style, and that is humor. I think, um, you know, if you uh, if you look up on Wikipedia, the, the qualities of a high performing team, you'll find that they talk about humor and levity and the ability to experience joy with one another, which isn't something that usually shows up on a metric. You usually don't have an OKR. Um, on jokes per hour in your staff meeting, that it's it's one of those soft skills that um, again we don't oftentimes pay a lot of attention to when we think about our employee development or we think about our statement of values. Um, we don't have them going out doing stand up uh, on a Saturday night. So that said, like the high performing team uh, research, um, you know, and and there's a lot out there says. That the ability to use levity productively to develop relationships, to diffuse diffuse situations that are otherwise uh, tense um, is a hallmark of a high performing team. And so for me, I've always tried to make sure that that's there. Um, And that we can uh, laugh together and we can joke together. Um, And it's sort of that notion of work hard and play hard. And if you can do both on the same team, uh, it's been my observation that that team's going to perform better, that that's going to be better than if they're otherwise strictly focused uh, on the material OKRs of the business. Yeah. Thank you, Rothie. Great
1: question and, and helping us to learn about Neil. And Neil, I noticed you use the word joy, not fun and, and duly noted. And Rothie went on to share with me, she talked about you being a calm in the storm and you've got this ability to lead, to inspire, to grow, help people make decisions, but without you owning it or oftentimes without you giving answers. So kind of speak to that, that part of your leadership style.
2: Well, you know, one of the things that I, again, find important um, is the empowerment of the folks that work with you. Uh, there are some models out there uh, that's uh, the single general and many soldiers, and it's sort of top-down command uh, and control. And, you know, I think that can work up until uh, a particular point, up to a particular scale. If you have a small team, maybe a, a single agile team, um, that might work. On the other hand, though, I think to not only scale an operation, to lead a big organization, you have to entrust and empower, Um, but to get the best you can out of a leadership team, they have to be able to give back as a team. They have to be able to operate as a team, not just an extension of their leader. So for me, I find that helping people find their space, um, maybe uh, leading them to an answer, if it's an experience that you've had before or a mistake that you've made yourself that you can share uh, so that they don't have to relive that mistake, that's pretty powerful. Uh, But otherwise, empowerment is key, Uh, that helping those folks and helping a team uh, be better than the sum of their parts, that's, uh, that's something that I look to. to, to accomplish in my own leadership. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the late Nelson Mandela, I know, uh, somebody who was
1: mentored by him and, uh, he, Alfred would tell me that he would never give an answer. He would only challenge him with questions. Mm -hmm. He, He would say, young man, you are not thinking you are responding. And, 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 uh, but he said he grew so much from that, right. From that type of, of mentoring. and, You know, we could spend an entire podcast, Neil, talking about the things that you're doing to to know and grow and to develop your current workforce, the things you're doing to attract your future workforce. Could you just hit on some of the some of the big rocks that you're doing? So you're doing some pretty innovative things there to build that talent magnet brand that you're that you mentioned earlier
2: yeah so you know I think we're doing the things that you would expect um, you know we are definitely uh, taking care of our employees we're creating an exciting environment for them where they can be not only productive um, within their their work stream but also innovative outside their work stream but one of the things I'm really proud of is is the things that you would look at and you say well that's non-standard how are you uh, winning in this talent market how are you promoting diversity and inclusion um, in a way that's different Different from other companies. Um, and so one of those things is an initiative that we created uh, with Galaxy Solutions that we call Outsourced Milwaukee. Um, and in Outsourced Milwaukee, uh, we take a different approach that we think about entry-level uh, technologists, many of them uh, coming from underserved communities who didn't have the same opportunity. Um, many of them who were maybe second-career technologists, who weren't necessarily um, going to an undergrad program with a degree in computer science but have the will over skill that they have the desire to learn and that they have an aptitude, uh, because they, they want to do these things. And so, you know, we work to, uh, start with a self-study program. We do some training for them and then they show up with, uh, with our company. And then they do an apprenticeship, not just an internship, where they can work alongside a team. They can develop those practical experiences and then ultimately become part of our extended workforce. And what I will tell you is um, it's nice to uh, attract talent when you're not just fighting for a bigger piece of the pie that you're actually growing the pie. Um, It helps the market, I will say in the case of outsource to Milwaukee, we've uh, certainly been able to attract a more diverse workforce than we would have otherwise. And they're highly motivated folks who are self starters, who we think over the long term are invariably going to be one of the most critical parts of our uh, workforce. And we also get to do it by focusing on on communities of, that have not been as economically advantaged over time. So that's where I think we really make a difference um, is when we are different, when we're taking some of these novel approaches uh, to growing, developing and retaining talent.
1: It's, it's 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 interesting how you describe those things I'm always challenging CIOs when it comes to the workforce strategy. You know, it's going to be more holistic than we have in the past. It's going to be more data driven. It's going to be more differentiated. If you're just doing the same things that the companies on the street are doing, you're not going to have any differentiation. Just like with your products and services, right? And so, absolutely, yeah. One of the cool things we do here on the show, Neil, is we are uh, part of our Tech for Good. I know this is a big part of your story too. Part of Tech for Good is we are donating one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars of scholarships to our TechLX IT leadership development program. And uh, what we get to do today is we, we give you the ability to gift a seat in that program to one of your nonprofits that you work with. I know that's hard because you work with so many and you support so many, but when you think about where you'd like to, uh, to gift that, does anybody come to mind that you'd like to, uh, to share that with?
2: Yeah. The, you know, for us, um, United way of greater Milwaukee, uh, has a tech United program that, um, I participate in, uh, significantly a member of the advisory council. We raise, um, money for programs, um, in the Milwaukee community that are tech focused. And one that's really powerful is the Tech for Good Marketplace. Um, And what the Tech for Good Marketplace is, it matches support from company tech volunteers to various technology needs. And so it turns out, um, you know, having a a nonprofit that might get um, some material support, some money from something like United Way uh, is great, but if they can't effectively deploy that because they've got technology challenges, because things are too expensive Or they don't work. Um, We find community programs, and in our case, um, data. Uh, And the use of data, data initiatives, data science is is particularly important. Um, We find that we can have technologists in our company who are willing to donate their time um, to help do the data analysis. And so, you know, that's something tech for good marketplace is is really important. Um, And it's a way for us to not only give funds, but also give support so that other uh, nonprofits can be more effective as well. That's outstanding.
1: Well, congratulations to them. Sounds like an amazing organization and we'll certainly get them plugged
2: in. And, you know, I want to thank you for that. Yeah, (laughs) sorry. Thank you for that as well, Dan. That's incredibly generous. We appreciate it. Well, we have a lot of work to
1: do, Neil, right? In our profession to, um, you know, our next generation. And I love the things you're doing with Outsource Milwaukee and all these other programs, like I say, we could dedicate an entire podcast to the different things you're doing because you're pretty passionate about this, uh, this area, you know, unpacking some of my favorite nihilism, some of those expressions that I've heard you use over time. One of them, Neil is I favor action prior to perfecting a plan. What, what does that mean to you?
2: Yeah. You know, that's something, um, that, uh, I do and I have uh, my team do as well. We put together user guides, and so that's one of the things that shows up in those user guides and it, it tells you a little bit about yourself. It's, it's almost a cheat sheet for how to communicate with how to get things done, uh, with teammates. And it, it really accelerates their ability to work together. Um, and this is one that's definitely true for me. Um, sometimes I shorten it a little bit to, uh, progress over perfection. Um, and the idea here is that, um, definitely favoring action before getting a perfect plan is, is invariably going to lead you to a, a better place. Um, you know, you could, for example, finish a, a perfect template uh, that takes a few months to develop, um, or you could just go out and collect data and clean it up after the fact. And maybe the data leads you to a different place. And so there are many times uh, in my career that um, I've I've found this to be true. The the irony is perhaps I I brought it from an old computer science maxim around uh, query planning and databases. That um, query planners are all done on heuristics, their estimates, uh, their estimations, their guesses as to whether or not something is going to go well, whether or not a query will run quickly or slowly. But what's interesting is any plan is faster than figuring out what the actual fastest plan is. Because in order to be sure about it, because they're all estimates, you actually have to run them all. And so the idea of progress uh, over perfection is that getting started, oftentimes gets you to the finish line faster um, and it oftentimes helps you avoid mistakes that you don't even know you're making because you're not in the process yet. That is fascinating, (laughs) that is really interesting. Uh,
1: This is, I told you all at the beginning, the conundrum of Neil Sample, right? PhD in computer science, we just got a little glimpse and all the EQ that goes with it. So, Neil, I'm gonna take us out with a lightning round. You're known for being fast on your feet. You are a national debater in college, yeah. and which is part of your part of your, your skill set, part of your story. But I'm gonna throw some words at you and just what comes to mind, right? As I, as I throw these words at you. So the first one is gonna be speed.
2: Uh Navy SEALs, slow is smooth and smooth is fast.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Just say, just say another sentence about that. That's a, a <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. Listen, I, you know, it is, uh, it is one of those powerful concepts um, and it shows up in different ways. It's measure twice, cut once uh, it's slow down because we're in a hurry. Um, the idea that if you can move slowly and deliberately and cautiously, that you will avoid mistakes, that you will avoid errors, that you will take in the environment. You'll see what's done around you. And ultimately, that is going to be as fast as you can possibly be. Um, That running headlong in the dark is not uh, particularly deliberate and it'll be fast right until you run into a brick wall. So so one of the things that they say is is slow is smooth and smooth is fast uh, because you don't have to repeat yourself. You've got an economy and efficiency of motion and you won't rework because you won't make mistakes. Brilliant. Second word, curiosity. Curiosity is is tremendously important. I think of, you know, curiosity and its partner candor, getting folks on teams to ask the question why, to challenge uh, history, to evaluate a process, to get underneath an OKR, um, to figure out what the value behind the value is, Um, because if you're doing a job and you don't know why, Um, You won't have the opportunity to to create something even better. Um, I find some of my best technologists will hear, for example, a requirement from a product partner and they'll say, you know what? I understand what you're going for. I can get you 80% of the value at 50% of the cost. What do you think? And I'll tell you, those are the moments when someone in technology, who's maybe a great delivery partner, becomes an incredible business partner uh, because they're able to get more value out of it. And that comes back to, to curiosity, knowing the business and, and knowing what's possible. So much there. That gets us out of that order taker
1: you know, history we've we've been fighting and a different way of showing up. Last one for you, Neil. It's actually not a word. It's, it's an acronym, which I shouldn't do, but it's an acronym that... That I don't hear CIOs mentioned very often. And it's the acronym is BATNA, B A T N A. So, what is that, and why is that so important to you?
2: Yeah, so a BATNA is your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Um, And really, it is uh, what is the next best thing, if you think about it. Um, And oftentimes, we find ourselves as technologists negotiating. Um, And we think of the obvious ones, we're maybe negotiating with a vendor or a supplier or a partner, and uh, what are the alternatives? What are the other vendors, suppliers, partners, software, et cetera? Um, But oftentimes, it's also true internally that uh, I don't know the CIO that has an infinite amount of talent and an infinite amount of treasure and can therefore do everything in that infinite amount of time. And so given that all three of those things have limits, the idea is to know what are the alternatives? Um, So for example, you might find yourself with a mountain of tech debt, purely hypothetical, of course, and you could stop the world and, and try to finish all of the tech debt off, try to put it to bed, try to do your refactoring, your upgrades, your retirements. But that probably wouldn't sound great to the business who would like to get some new products out there, some new capabilities, some new experiences, new back office efficiencies. And so the ability to help make those trade-offs rather than merely be subject to them um, is pretty powerful. It's one of those ways that as technologists we can add incremental value. Um, It makes us consider our own uh, opportunities. It makes us put a a price on tech debt, for example, so that we can compare it to the commercial opportunities. And what is the difference between those two and and therefore make a, a powerful recommendation on the way we should go. So a lot of folks use it thinking about external negotiations, negotiating with vendors or partners, what are walkaways, what are alternatives, et cetera. But I find that it's really valuable if you're you're understanding it to optimize your portfolio inside the company as well. Neil, so good. Speaking of powerful,
1: this has been a powerful conversation. We've covered so much ground. And I want to let people know that you and I are going to continue the conversation and publish in a week from now on ci.com, on CI Whispers a blog post, we're going to unpack some of your perspectives on technology trends and differentiators from that perspective. So Neil, on behalf of our entire community, our entire audience, thanks so
2: much for joining us on Tech Whispers. Dan, thank you for having me today. It's been delightful, Uh, amazing questions, and you've given us a a real platform to to talk about something we're passionate about. We appreciate it. Outstanding. We'll have
1: you back again, Neil, and uh, we'll see you all again soon.
0: You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woollette and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.